Welcome to today's message from Refuge Point Church. We would love for you to join us for one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org. Or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play. Now, here's today's message. Uh, we started a series a couple weeks ago on this book of John. John gives us a very unique perspective of the life of Christ. Uh, John's gospel is very different from what we call synoptic gospels, which are the Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, we call them synoptics because uh, they're very similar in their writings. And so John gives us a different perspective of Jesus. He's very more detailed, and he comes out swinging, and he tells us who Jesus is, he doesn't want anybody playing a guessing game uh, about who Jesus is because he just says, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. And so we know right off uh, of John's writings here that this word, uh, Word, is logos, which, I mean, this translates this literally as the Word. This is who God is. God is Jesus. And later it reveals that this Word that he's talking about is Jesus because verse 14 says that this Word that was there from the beginning, that was there with God, put on flesh and bones and blood and became like us. So right out of the gate, John doesn't want anybody guessing. It doesn't go like Matthew, Mark, and Luke does, uh, how they'll give like a genealogy or give you some kind of historical perspective of who Jesus is. But they want you to know and have a clear understanding that Jesus is God. And everybody needs to know that. right? As a Christian, this is what you and I believe. He wasn't a brother to Satan who was feuding up in heavens. He was not uh, Gabriel, an angel that come down uh, as Jesus, as an, another cult believes. No, Jesus is God. He is who he says he is, and he makes these claims throughout John's gospel. Uh, particularly, he makes these statements with the seven I am statements, and we'll get into those much, 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 much because we're still in chapter one and we're week three in this series. So that means we'll probably be in this chapter at least three more weeks, all right? So we in this for the long ride, y'all, all right? So y'all better keep on coming or you're going to miss out, all right? So this is John chapter one. John has revealed Jesus is God. Not only has he revealed this, but he started to give us a glimpse of why he came. And he did that by this weird kind of uh, way of his writings where he just throws in an interruption when he, and this was last week when he says, uh, after he's talking about Jesus, giving this incredible explanation of who Jesus is, that he's God. Then he just throws in this little um, asterisk, I guess, and say, oh, by the way, there's this guy named John the Baptizer. He was a witness about God, witness about the light. He wasn't the light. He was just talking about the light and witnessing about the light. Now, I've always thought that was interesting because here's what John wants us to know about that, that God was going to still continue his method and how he operates to the world. He's always used people to be his voice. And so now he's throwing in what it seems like to us as an interruption was not necessarily an interruption. He's just letting us know, hey, I'm still going to use you. Just because I'm down here on earth and I become like you doesn't mean that you're not going to have a part to play in this. No, you're still going to be a witness. No, you're still going to be testifying about the light. You're not the light. You're going to be a reflection of the light. Yeah. 
And so he throws that in there, that the light has come and has invaded the most dark places in culture. And so in the darkness, what he says, the darkness, it couldn't even control it. It couldn't even contain the light. Think about that in terms of what we're celebrating today. And I believe I said this last week, that this light was so great that all of the darkness and the cosmos was aimed at Christ on the cross. The darkness of the Roman Empire aimed at Jesus. The darkness of the religious establishment aimed at Jesus. The darkness of the foolishness of his disciples pointed directly at Jesus. And the darkness of your sin and the darkness of my sin pointed at Jesus. And I love it because the light shines and the darkness couldn't overcome it. It didn't get much darker than that day. And even as dark as it got, it still couldn't overcome the light of Christ. And that's great news for us because that light still continues to shine, even in our dark spaces. So I want to answer just a quick question. Why did Jesus come? And I've got three points for you. I'm going to be real fast, and we're going to get out of here, and y'all going to go eat some deviled eggs. It's very weird. But they're good. Good to me. Bold eggs, not deviled eggs. Who does that? Who hides deviled eggs? That would be weird. Anyway. All right. <laughs> Let's read the Bible. John chapter 1, verse 10. Now, he was in the world. Now, who is he? All right. A few of you are getting this. By year three, you better have this. All right. Uh, John 1, 10. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right. Now, if you underline your Bible, you got to underline that word, because that's a powerful word, and we're going to talk about what that means. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. And I love this right here. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, John is telling us in the beginning of this passage we just read, a very painful reality and a conflict that's going to continue throughout the life of Jesus in the Gospels. That here he's setting up the stage. Now here's Jesus. He has come to ransom and redeem. But the problem is, is that those who are longing for the Messiah, they rejected him. They rejected the very one who had come that they were longing for. I mean, they were long and waiting. They've been prophecies about this Messiah who was to come, and here he comes. And yet everyone, most of them, they rejected him. Now, we're not too far removed from the scripture in our culture today. We have a Jesus that is here to redeem and ransom you for your sins. Yet most of us will reject him because it's not the Jesus that we want. Amen. It's just, it's just not the Jesus we want. We want the Western Jesus, uh, the American Jesus, I should say, uh, who looks like us who acts like us and gives us the things that we want. Amen. Like we want, you, you've seen the new preview of Aladdin. 
Uh, if you've seen the new preview of Aladdin, uh, the genie looks, looks awkward and it's kind of creepy a little bit. But if we're honest, that's the Jesus we want. We want the genie Jesus. If we, if we rub him the right way, I don't know how that works. That's awkward. <laughs> we're like, Jesus, give, and here's what happens. When he doesn't do what we want him to do, we shake our fist to the heavens. And the reason why you're shaking your fist to the heavens is because you're not worshiping the right Jesus. And so we reject, there's a stand there, we reject Jesus because we really just don't understand him. And we just want him to be who we want him to be. And so here it is, these same people, some 2,000 years ago, doing the same thing that we're doing today. He wasn't who they wanted him to be. So Jesus now is going to be in this tension, in this conflict that ultimately will lead him to his death, to where these people were rejecting Jesus, except for a few. Now, I asked this question. I was reading this uh, this week. I thought of the question, like, well, why? If, he only, if only a few received him, then why not just, I mean, just do away with those jokers? And, of course, that's how weird and wicked the mind is sometimes. And just, why, so why did he come? Well, John wants us to know the reason why Jesus came. And he gives us this uh, glimpse of the reason why Jesus came. And the first reason that he gives is that so that you and I would believe. All right? Did you see that? So, so here it is. And this is what John wants you to know. This is a purpose of the gospel of John. In fact, if you read on to John chapter 20, uh, verse 30 and 31, John says, the reason why I wrote this book is so that you would believe. Believe that Jesus is God. That's the whole purpose of the book of John. And so, I, you know, when I, when I read Scripture, and this, is, this can be dangerous, I don't recommend you doing this, but sometimes when I read Scripture, I, I kind of think about what's not implied, what's not written, and, and I, I really kind of look at, like, how the text is actually written. And one thing I notice that the word is just believe. All right, now, here's why that is, that is Pentecostal good news for some of us. You don't have to throw in a charismatically believe. You don't have to throw in a, uh, and you know, you've heard preachers say, you just got to be more passionate. You don't even have to passionate believe. And on the flip side of that, it's not even a half-hearted belief. Jesus just said in this text, just believe. Just, just believe that he's God. Don't add to it because problems begin to arise when you start adding those adjectives before the believe. Because you won't always be able to passionately believe. Now, what about the tension that some of us are in? They're like, well, I believe, but then, hey, man, I got my doubts. Listen, hey, I've been in that boat before. You're okay. Here's why I know you're okay. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, there's this crazy passage of this weird horror story where this little kid is being heavily oppressed by a demonic force that has thrown him into fire and has caused this kid just, I mean, it's just very, I mean, it's like a scene out of a movie if you read it in scriptures. Some of you are like, whoa, where's Easter, bro? Go easy. Calm down. It's a good story. Amen. Guy goes, and he's like, and you've got to help my kid. And I'm totally just kind of giving you a paraphrase of this passage. He says, you've got to help my kid. Like, just bad things are happening. And Jesus is like, yeah, man, I, do you believe? I mean, I'll, I'll heal the guy. And I love the response that the man gives. 
but dad said, I believe to help my disbelief. Here's what I know, and here's what I love about Jesus. Anytime there were doubts, Jesus did not rebuke that father. You know what he did? He drove the demon out of his son. He drove the demon out of that kid, and that kid was laying there, and everybody was like, well, now he's dead, Jesus. Jesus reached down and grabbed him by the hand, and he's up. You ever found yourself in that tension? Well, I believe, but I got some doubts, man. Hey, you know what? You're in a safe place because you have a God who you can go to, I believe. But, man, God, there's just sometimes God's not ready to whoop you on the head with his rod if he has one. And you can go to God and say, God, I, I believe, but there's still something inside of me. Help my unbelief. Just believe. Don't add anything to it because that begins to formulate a works-based theology that will just run you ragged because you will never be able to measure up to your standards, much less the standards of the law, all right? Believe. And Jesus came that you and I would believe. That's it. I love other passages too where he would talk about faith and belief and and, and Jesus, would, he said this crazy story one time about a seed. You remember the mustard seed story? He's like, listen, you just need faith like a mustard seed. I love that Jesus didn't say, you need the faith of an avocado seed. Because that's, that's a bigger faith. All my millennials will know what avocados are, right? The millennials are the avocado generation. I eat them every day. He said, no, you just need like the faith of a mustard seed. Which really should shut down prosperity gospel garbage, right? You just need a little faith. God, just like, just believe. Believe that he's God. John's writing a purpose in a book, and he's giving it to us in this introduction. Jesus came so that not only you believe, but look what happens when you believe. That you are adopted. You have the right. So this is, here's what he's talking about. Now you have the right to become children of God. Now he's not talking about uh, that you are born into salvation. What is he talking about? He's talking about adoption. I mean, throughout the New Testament, they give us this glimpse of here's what happens when you believe. You've been adopted in the kingdom of God. Now, John is attacking two ideas that were culturally uh, problematic for, for his readers because a lot of people, uh, you weren't born of flesh into this. And so here's what he's talking about. Just because your mom and daddy are saved don't mean you saved. Your parents' faith is not your faith. Your faith has to be your faith. And John here's attacking that idea of belief that you can't rely on the faith of your parents to get you in there. And so here is a problem that John is having to attack because many people in this culture would believe that if their parents were a part of this religion, then they just were automatically uh, drafted in. John's like, no, that ain't how it works, y'all. Not only is he attacking that idea, nor are you born by uh, into the family of God by the will of man. And so here's another idea that he's attacking. You ain't saved by how good you are. Nor are you saved by how morally upright you 
are as an individual, how good you look, how well you pay, play the part. Doesn't matter. You know what the prophet Isaiah would say to that? That your best, your 100% is like filthy rags before him. Now, I'm not going to get into the context of the word filthy rags because it's disgusting. And we have guests here, and I, don't, I, I do want you to come back, right? I mean, it's, but the Bible got some pretty nasty stuff in it, you know? He says, hey, your best, it's, it's disgusting when you try to measure it up to Christ. So if you aren't saved by being born in it, or if you aren't saved by how good you are, then how is it? You believe so. He gives us this idea of adoption. Now, uh, Marinda and I, and what you just saw just moments ago, we, Marinda understood the weight of adoption. That's, that's a part of her story. But I knew it just from second hand, just because I'm married to her. But I really didn't grasp uh, the full weight of adoption until that happened in our family. And, and I don't know, maybe many of you have experienced that. Uh, you were adopted, you had a, a family member adopted, or you have adopted someone, or maybe someone close to you is going through the adoption. Here's what I learned through that experience, is that it cost something. I'm not just talking about financial cost, but it emotionally cost us something. There were days where there was fear. There were days when it was just like, uh, there I was shaking my fist to the heavens. There were days where I just, I, I literally just could not, I was like, I, I can't handle the pressure of this. My, my family knows there were days of tears, there was days of pain, it was going good, then it just went to the pits really fast. And it was heavy, and it was a dark, dark time. It was like Satan was just trying to rob all the goodness that was going on. It really just brought light, the power of adoption to me. Here's what I, I learned through that process, that even though it was painful, I'll never understand the cost that my God did for me when he adopted me. He paid the price. I'll never even understand that. I'll never understand that. I, I could understand my pain. But think about the pain he went through. I remember that judge's chamber. And I've probably shared this before, but it's such a powerful moment. March 17th last year. I remember we were sitting in that chamber, and it was such a powerful moment for us and our family. As, as that judge, that old man, he just he was such an incredible guy. He looked at every single one of us in our family, and, it, and, and this moment was just kind of sealed in my, my brain. He looked at my son. He looked at my daughter. He said, this kid, he's your brother, Jude. This kid, he's your sister or, or brother. He's, yeah, you got what I'm saying? And then he's still a boy. And I remember him looking at Miranda and, and me, and he just looked at us, and he said, and, and Ezra, he's your son. No pain can rob me from that moment. And I remember grabbing that big old fatty McFatterton, and I, I grabbed his chunky self because God did not want me to have skinny babies. He wanted me to have fat. And I remember grabbing that fat, chunky thing, and I did a power walk, and I was crying. It wasn't cry. It was like ugly cry. 
It was like I could not get myself together cry. You know what I'm saying? You ever cried like that before? I'm a man. I'm proud of it. And I was holding that little joker. I was power walking out of there, and I remember this verse. that the darkness could not overcome the light. I remember the verse in the scripture that said, what the enemy meant to harm my baby boy, God turned it for his good. And my son, and here's what I know about Ezra. Ezra will not have to know the cost. He won't have to know it. You and I, we don't have to know the cost that it took for our Savior to hang on a tree to die for us. That's why I think this, this imagery of adoption is such a powerful image. Christ wants you to realize the price that he paid. Here's darkness aimed at him from all corners. It was not enough to overcome him. It was not enough for him to stop what he was doing just so he can display his love for you and I. Jesus came, my friends, that we might believe, and when we believe, we are adopted into the family of God. Not only that, like I love this this last part here in verse 14, the word became flesh and did what? It dwelled among us. So here's what I love. Here's how I kind of visualize this passage is that Jesus comes, comes to save, comes that we believe, grafts us uh, as how other texts would, would read this or, or, or adopts us into his family. And he doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't leave us there. He gives us another reason why he came. An incredible news for you and I to understand this morning, that he came dwell with us. This is, this is so powerful. He came to dwell with us. This word dwell, it's translated in some, uh, in some ways as to tabernacle with us. Eugene Peterson, his, his, his commentary, the message is a commentary, by the way. Uh, the message would say that God put on flesh and bones and he moved into our neighborhood. I love that right there. I mean, West Point terms, Jesus came, and he moved up in the hood, (laughs) y'all. I thought that that joke was funny, Willie. I thought you laughed, but you didn't. That's all right. Jesus, Jesus came. So you got to understand also... um, Old Testament, a uh, little Old Testament history to fully grasp the meaning of Jesus dwelling because for so long they were waiting and they had glimpses of the dwelling of God. They had glimpses of the dwelling of God uh, in, in the tent, in the tabernacle. Remember in Moses when we went through Exodus, this is, uh, this is what they went through. I mean, a large portion of the Old Testament uh, is dedicated towards the dwelling of God with his people. They had the, they had the tent, the tabernacle. I mean, it was just kind of transferred from place to place. No longer we, we want to transfer. And so when they got to the promised land, 
like, hey, we're going to build the, the temple now. And so they build the temple. The temple is uh, finally built. And bad news alert, temple destroyed, right? And the temple is then rebuilt, and then a problem happens. That it stopped, be, it, it, it just stopped being a, a, a place where God dwelled. It became more about a prophet. The temple became target. Not an actual target, but I'm trying to help you out here. Here's how I know this. Because Jesus, if you remember, if you remember, um, this is the Jesus I, I want to be like. Uh, when Jesus was walked into the temple and he saw that they, were, they had made it out to be like a marketplace. And so he just goes like Jackie Chan on those jokers. And he's turning tables. And it ain't like the two turntables and a microphone. Like he's literally like flipping tables. I mean, in my mind, he's just like going crazy. And everybody's like, whoa, Jesus, chill out, bro. But I mean, he's just he's going cray-cray on these people. Here's why. Because they had turned what was a symbol of the presence of God into a marketplace where now suddenly the marginalized could not have access to it. So Jesus was ticked by this. He's like, all right, that's fine. And so here's Jesus now in John chapter 1. He's like, all right, fine. I'm the dwelling. I've come to dwell. I've come to tabernacle. I've come to another uh, commentary that I read on this. Uh, they use the word tent. Like he came to put up a tent. Like I've come to just live with you. I've come to dwell with you. I've come to be where you are. I've come to see how you live. I've come to live with you. I've come to tabernacle with you. That the God of the cosmos would come down and live with us. But then there's just this even bigger problem because Jesus goes all Superman on us and he leaves us, right? If you remember like the day of Pentecost, Jesus goes off. But now the problem is if the temple isn't the dwelling of God anymore, then where is the dwelling of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, do you not know that you are the dwelling of and that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. Amen. Listen to me now, church. He's no longer in a tent. No longer will you find him in a building. Or no longer will you find him in a cathedral. Or you won't even find him in a ghettofied building that you're in right now. <laughs> and you'll find him in the hood because that's where Jesus is. He's inside of you and, uh, you and I, the church, the ecclesia, the gathering. This is why the church is so powerful. This is why I don't go to church. I am the church. Amen. And I have the power of the Holy Spirit of God inside of me. Yes. If you believe, you've been adopted, and now you have the dwelling, the tabernacle of Jesus inside of you. And I just want to ask, what you doing with it? Knowing that you have the indwelling of the Spirit of God inside of you. What you doing with it? Shouldn't that radically transform how we're treating our neighbors, how we're treating our spouses, our children, our coworkers? My friend, Jesus came that we would believe 
to adopt us into his family and to dwell with us. Here's what I know, and here's kind of against the grain a little bit. When, when you hear people pray prayer like, will God be with them? Hey, can I help you out in your prayer life real quick? You ain't got to pray that prayer. Yeah, I'm guilty like, hey, God, be with that person. Hey, God, be with this person. Yeah, I don't have to pray that prayer. Because if they believe, God's already with them. David would say, if I go to the highest heights of the heavens, if I go to the lowest lows of the earth, there you are. Everywhere I go, he's there. And might we be encouraged by God's power that he has not left you. Even in your doubts, he has not left you. He's dwelling with you. And the word became flesh and put up a tent and dwells inside of us now. And let me pray for us. Father, I thank you, Lord. Thanks for tuning in to Refuge Point Church's broadcast. We hope you were both challenged and encouraged by today's message. We would love for you to join us at one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org. Or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play.